Video recordings of this podcast can be found on RaisingEquity.org and Raising Equity on YouTube. Welcome to Raising Equity. As you know, Raising Equity is all about figuring out how we can be adults in the lives of kids to help them understand themselves, systems of oppression, and transform them so that we can have a more equitable society. Well, one of the ways that we can do that is to support programs that are making sure all kids, especially kids who are under-resourced, have the environment, have the interactions with adults that they need to thrive. And a professor at St. Louis University who passed away last year, Norm White, was passionate about that. He started a program called Shut It Down to stop the school-to-prison pipeline. And he partnered with schools and principals, the school district, courts, and judges to think about how we can make sure that kids who are under-resourced have what they need. Because really, kids are able to thrive if we as adults do the work to create the environment and to give them the support that they need to live their best life. So as I mentioned, sadly, he passed away. But today I have with us Dr. April Warren Grice, who jumped in to take over the project after he passed. And I just have to say she has jumped in feet first and hit the ground running. And I wanted to bring the stories of Shut It Down to Raising Equity. In full disclosure, I should share, I also am the primary investigator on the grant and uh, work to understand the data to see where are we being effective. But Dr. Warren Grice is on the ground and is here with us today to share with us the stories of Shut It Down. She's also the founder of Liberated Genius, which celebrates the genius of black and brown kids and is passionate about culturally relevant pedagogy, which is basically encouraging educators to understand the culture of their children that they're teaching so that they can leverage that and use it in the classroom. So we have with us today, Dr. April Warren Grice. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So tell us, how did you become passionate about the school to prison pipeline? Was it something that you were always aware of? When did that start? Not something I was always aware of. In fact, um, it actually became aware when I was teaching high school English. Uh, I taught at Rittner uh, here in St. Louis, and I taught every grade, um, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors. And when I began teaching sophomores, I realized, wow, like this is the same age that my uncle was, who's four years older than me, um, when my grandmother passed. So his mother passed away at when he was 15 years old. And after she passed away, he kind of started hanging out with um, the crowd that wasn't um, for his best um, for his best good. And he's been incarcerated now for like half his life. And so, again, when I realized he was the same age as those sophomores, it softened my heart because I was really angry with him because he left me. And I needed my uncle because, like, he was cool. And so, again, it softened my heart and I just had more compassion for him and I could actually forgive him and actually look at look at the situation as like, wow, he didn't know what he was doing. He had, didn't have the guidance, um, even though my mom and the rest of my family tried to rally around him. He just didn't have that support. He just didn't have his mom and he didn't know how to process his own trauma. Mm. And so with that, now uh, he is about to be released and he's asking me to help him to establish his life outside. And so now it's like, oh, I need to be helping. So I'm learning a whole lot of things about this process, and it's not easy. 
And it's just, it's not pretty because like not you said, pretty. 15 years old, 15 years old, 15. they're still babies. My sophomores were still asking me questions. I mean, basic questions. I'm like, they're still kids. Yeah. They're still kids. Yeah. I shouldn't say babies. Yes. They're still kids learning how to be in the world. Yeah. And however, even though that they're still kids, they're seen as adults and people think that they should have everything figured out and because they look like young adults when they're really, again, just kids, really just babies for real. Yeah. I mean, I'm a kid myself. So, <laughs> Well, when, especially with black and brown kids. Right? Exactly. So there's research that shows that they're seen as less innocent. Mm-hmm. So their young bodies get read as adult, as violent. I mean, as that's adult. why we have Tamir Rice, who was 12 and shot mm-hmm. so quickly because they assumed he was an adult. Yeah, because they look aggressive. Right. Appear as such. And mm-hmm. that's all, all the assumptions and negative messages. Yep. But even here in Missouri, we know that we have, we have one of the highest suspension rates for elementary kids. Yes. And it's disproportionately black kids. Yes. In SOPS, um, it was the highest. It was, and this is, um, it was in the uh, ACLU report. We were ranked, I think, like number three in the nation. And so, yeah, there's something that, there's something there and there's something that needs to be done because it's, um, it's tragic because, again, just like you were said, um, these kids, it's just how they look. Um, they just look different. And so they are assumed to be troublemakers when really the same actions that white kids may have um, would just get them a little slap on the hand or, hey, you know, kids are being kids. Black and brown kids are seen as um, as criminals. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really into pointing fingers necessarily or blame. Yeah, definitely not. But I am into accurately diagnosing a problem so that we understand how to fix it. Yeah. And so where do you feel like we need to understand? Like, where are the leverage points that we need to see that where we're going wrong that's creating this school to prison pipeline and creating these disparities that we see in suspension rates mm-hmm. and disciplinary rates? Mm-hmm. What what do we need to what do we need to know? So I like that you said you're not into pointing fingers and blame. Like that's so overrated because we have the problem now. So how about everybody just get on board and try to figure out what to do? Um, so I think that what people need to understand is that like this is a historical problem. This just didn't show up like yesterday. This has been ongoing since forever. So even if we look at like Dr. Joy DeGruy's work on post-traumatic slave syndrome, she'll point out how um, racial bias has been going on since forever. Uh, So I think it's important for people to understand the impact and influence of race because people think, oh, you know, we're post-racial. However, I don't know if people can still say that these days. Um, But so we, we really need to think about that and and really just thinking about how how personally, how is my life impacted by the influence of race? And I say that because in in working with some uh, educators, um, I've asked them, you know, how many people have gone out of their neighborhood, essentially? And they're like, not really. And they they say, I haven't been down Grand or I haven't been on the other side of Del Mar, or if so, they've just passed through. So I really ask them, you know, just think about your own life. What are you doing or not doing? Um, But then also, one of the things that we oftentimes focus on is what's going wrong. So one of the participants in, um, in the work of Shut It Down, she's the principal at 
Farragut Elementary, she she gave a great quote and she said, you know, failure sales. And I was like, wow, that is really powerful. And so I mentioned that because by always only focusing on what doesn't work, even if what worked came along, we wouldn't be able to recognize it. And so I think that uh, what we should do is highlight what is working and look at those um, those as avenues that we can pattern ourselves after. So with the work of Shut It Down and how we are working, so Shut It Down, uh, we have the Race and Trauma Educator Coaching Program. And what we do is we have licensed clinicians, licensed therapists. They are working with uh, educators, so teachers, support staff, principals, to help them understand what trauma looks like, what it feels like. Um, so in their own lives first, but then also when they see it in the lives of students, they're not asking like, what's wrong with this kid? But maybe um, more importantly, asking what happened to the kid and then be able to um, those clinicians being able to help the educator process what's going on and strategize ways to better work with the students. So that's the work of Shut It Down. And so by looking at something like Shut It Down, not necessarily the only pro program that works, but this is something that is working because what has happened is these educators are saying, you know what, I can regulate myself better. You know what, I can now help those students regulate themselves better. And so by focusing on what we want, such as looking at these programs, by addressing the issue of trauma, by addressing the issues of racism and helping these educators understand those things, I think that is how we can curtail this, um, this problem and really start to to re-engineer this thing. So it's not a school to prison pipeline, but it's actually a school to liberation. Um, in addition to that, I think we also have to look at how schools work. Because if we look at schools, the reality is they're set up the same way that they've always been set up, at least in the United States, which is I'm the teacher and I'm telling you what to do for 30, 45 minutes. We already know that one Attention spans, they're not even that. My attention span isn't that long. So let's give students a break, first off. Uh, but two, that whole sit and get thing is not, that's not working with our students. How do we know? Because if it's work, we wouldn't be here in this situation. So by looking at how schools are run and, and changing um, the dynamics of schools and figuring out what actually works for students, that is an area that we still have yet to really to do. We haven't really served our clients really well, and our students are our clients. We're still operating from, oh, the educator is the client, and this worked for me, so this should work for these kids. But that's not the case. I've I, talked a lot, so. No, you're fine. It's good information. And what you made me think about is how oftentimes when schools are underperforming, the blame is on the students, or the yes. blame is on the parents, or the blame is on the teachers. Definitely. And this whole idea... We shut it down is to think about how we can collectively work yeah. together as a community to make sure that environment is prepared, which does mean there's accountability on the mm -hmm. part of teachers, of principals, of staff folks, of parents, and the kids mm -hmm. to bring them be their best selves. But historically in our school system, when schools are underperforming, what happens mm -hmm. is they actually sometimes get resources taken away. Yeah. So rather than giving them more resources... They take the resources away or they'll do things like, well, you need to focus more on instruction. So mm -hmm. we're going to take away music yep, and yep, art yep. and the things that actually can help kids connect with school and can work a different side of their brain than just worksheets or mm -hmm. like you said, the sit and get mentality. 
And so we, I really do think you're right. Like we have to re-engineer how schools, how schools run. Yeah, definitely. And in the meantime, I think mm-hmm. what Shut It Down does really well is it focuses on how to support teachers definitely. to have this knowledge and the skills definitely. to be able to sort port kids better. Definitely. Because some of these kids, like you said, they're experiencing trauma mm-hmm. in their lives. Like you think about your uncle, right? Like if Shut It Down had Man. been around for him and they could have said, he just had a major loss. How do right. we support him? Right. Rather than... You know, oh, he's in with the wrong crowd and let's throw the book at him and throw Mm -hmm. him in jail. Like, Mm -hmm. what would it mean if they had seen the pain? What would it mean? Yeah, I definitely um, agree. And going back to your point about re-engineering school. So I want to, I like to highlight the good. And so one Mm -hmm. of the things that Patricia Cox is doing at Farragut Elementary is she has what she calls Farragut University. And every Friday, um... What happens is members from the community come in and they teach electives. So somebody from St. Louis University comes in and teaches a, a aeronautical class. Um, and somebody else comes in and teaches a STEM class or robotics class or whatever. And so those kids get to experience some real world trades and get acclimated and excited about school because she said, as well as the other, the rest of the educators said, those students now are looking forward to coming to school so they can get to Friday. So now we're changing the excitement level of school. Like, and who is, um, who is always excited to go to school? I don't know anyone unless they are engaged. And that engagement is, is what's taking place at, um, Farragut University, which then allows the opportunity for students to be engaged, but then it also creates space for our race and trauma coaches to work with the teachers. Mm, So it gives them the time to work with the teachers. Built into the system. Mm -hmm. So we're not just looking at individual um, individual people's issues and like helping them only to regulate their sales, but we're looking at how can we create a system, a community that works for everybody involved. So now we got a system that works for the students and the educators. And it, in fact, it also works for the, um, for the parents too. Um, so when there is a student who is, who's, who's acting out for whatever reason, uh, they call a student intervention meeting. And so that means the teacher's there, social worker, the counselor, uh, the principal, and then our director of therapeutic services, Naiba Johnson, and what they do is they discuss how can we help that student. And so because Naiba Johnson has the, the expertise on not just coming in looking for deficits, but hey, maybe it's this issue and this is something that we can do to really uh, help that student. It has made a lifetime or excuse me, it's just made a tremendous difference for the student. And the principal was like, it's like night and day with the student. And not just one student, but this has happened time and time again. And so much so that now uh, these student intervention team meetings are taking place with the help of uh, Naiba Johnson quite often, every mm. week, two, mm. three times a week. So again, it's a wraparound service. We have something for the students, something for the parents, something for the teachers, something for the system. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to to hear because they often think, oh, to stop the school to prison pipeline, we have to, you know, increase the rigor of schools and make sure kids are learning more. Of course, we want them to learn what they need to learn. Yeah. And, and we have to see their whole them as a whole child. As a whole human. As a whole human. To see me as human. Right. Holy. Right. And what you need and what supports you need and how to engage you. Yeah. And 
and how to be a a teacher to support you. Like, mm-hmm. how do I not get frustrated and mad mm-hmm. when you're acting out, but maybe get curious about why you're acting mm-hmm. out? And then I find out, oh, something happened in your family, or mm-hmm. you all just were evicted, or you right. Yeah. And and to not do it in a way that's like, uh, you know, sometimes they call it like poverty porn of mm-hmm. like just oh the woe oh, is me oh these kids. poor kids oh. no, but like understanding that there is genius within them, mm-hmm. and that it's our job to make sure the environment is set to give space for that to come out. Yeah. And it's not always about more drills and more math and more reading. Although those foundational yeah. skills are important, it's not just about that. And rarely is it just about that. Right. Rarely. I mean, even if we think about our own lives, and this is how I like to work with educators, like if you're going through a hard time and I'm just bringing you work to do, like, does that work for you? Like, no. Like people want people, want people to come in and drop your baggage at the door, but that doesn't happen. For anyone and for for those who it has worked, it will only work to a certain extent because eventually it's going to come out and that's just not healthy. It's not. And I I would push people to think about the schools in the St. Louis area so that we have St. Louis Public Schools that has gone through a period of lacking accreditation Mm -hmm. and we have the we have the uh, voluntary interdistrict coalition or uh, Mm -hmm. cooperative where people can go to other school districts because of the DSEG program. And I'm saying all this to say the schools in St. Louis that are the school districts that are seen as like coveted and the places to be, mm-hmm. they're not just about reading, writing, arithmetic. No. They have amazing enrichment programs, okay. music programs, theater programs, opportunities for the kids that are oh extracurricular. Like yes. if we think about the schools where people say, oh, I'm going to move yes. there so my kid can go there. They're Olympic not- size pools. Right? Mm-hmm. And I just want to name... We didn't, we we talked about race and trauma, but like part of the reason why St. Louis public schools are so under-resourced is because of racism. It's because of the white flight that happened. Mm -hmm. I I just want to say this is a personal connection. I talked to my mom on the podcast at Mm -hmm. one point and she grew up in St. Louis and she was that one of those first waves of, of integration. And guess where she was sent? Where? Ashland. It was all white. And they thought if we send the gifted kids, maybe they won't, maybe it'll be okay. Wow. And she had to get or- escorted off the bus and they had rocks thrown at them at Ashland, wow. where we now are Wow. in wow. this school that has been really gutted yeah. of resources. But back then, during the DSEG, it was a thriving school that was all white. And they were bring they were busing these black kids in, and so then the white people leave, the resources leave. Mm-hmm. And let me be clear, <laughs> you know, when we talk about that, it doesn't mean that individual white people wanted these schools to fail. Mm-hmm. It meant that on mass, yeah. as a community of white people, they felt like well, we've got to go. Mm-hmm. And what went with them were the resources, mm-hmm. definitely. Because when you have only fifteen percent of the population living in a space. Mm-hmm. That's you're you're not gonna have as many businesses that wanna come in, mm-hmm. as much investment. Mm-hmm. And so then as white flight happens, know that all the houses aren't gonna be bought up. Know the businesses mm-hmm. aren't gonna stay. Mm-hmm. And that's the base of a school district because mm-hmm. that's how we fund our schools. Definitely, definitely. So I just wanna be clear with folks that yes. like racism, while this is a predominantly black school, mm-hmm. and there might be some intra-group dynamics mm-hmm. that are problematic, but like even though it's it's not a integrated school that racism as a system 
oh, is what created alive and present. Alive and present. It's what created what we're dealing with right now. Indeed, indeed. And then on the flip side, um, what happens when those black students are bused to those uh, suburban schools? One, money follows the student. So then they get all of this extra money. And again, that means less money for those schools. But then also what happened was um, it was the best and the brightest that were taken from SLPS. So then the best and the brightest leave. And not that those students that were left behind were not very bright and not very smart, because they definitely were. But when those students left, it definitely left a hole. Yes. Right? And again, not just with resources, but with athletic ability, with music ability, whatever the extra, they took it all with them. But then not only that, what happened was there were actual billboards around St. Louis that said, hey, like send your kids, don't you want your kid to have a better education that promoted this going to suburban schools and leaving your schools because those schools are no longer fit for students because you want them to have a better education. So then it's so then what happens is it gets into the minds and mentalities of black folks that like, oh, yeah, because I do want my student to have a better education. So I have to send them to these suburban schools because those schools are better. And what my own personal research found when I looked at uh, predominantly white suburban schools in the Midwest is that those same black students that went through suburban schools, they actually experienced some of the same things that those black students were experiencing there. So racism over here in these suburban schools, it looks the same. And over here, it looks the same in both areas. It's just different context. It may look a little bit different because, oh, we got the resources and it looks real pretty. But the reality is, the students feel that impact. And if you look at the test scores disaggregated oh, yeah. by race, there's still an, an yes. opportunity gap. Definitely. The test scores are not through the roof. So that I've always said to people, like, tell me where I'm mm-hmm. going to send my black children yeah. where there's not an opportunity gap. And asking any black educator, I won't say any, but a majority of black educators that teach in these um, suburban school districts, predominantly white suburban school districts, the question is always... Do I send my student, my kid, to the school that I teach at, which is supposed to be good, but it's predominantly white, and so they're going to have to face that racism, or do I send them over here to these other schools where the population of the students are predominantly black, but then perhaps the academic rigor isn't there, and there's less funding and less resources? Where do I send? So that, that question of... What do, where do I send my own kid, even though I teach here and it's supposedly better? Because those educators know that it's not necessarily better. They may have access to AP courses, but then they don't have the entree because the educators aren't supporting those students to actually get there. Because, oh, no, I can't. Mm-mm, he's not smart enough. No, he's not gifted. She's not gifted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, on a recent episode, I talked to a, a Black woman. Do you know Rain Bayak of, of Sweetheart? I do. Yes. So she was uh, was participated in the DSEG program, right? And she talked about how she was treated. Her family uh, ended up having to uh, leave St. Louis. And so she stayed with, I believe it was the principal of the school. Mm-hmm. And so she became like a, like a surrogate daughter, mm-hmm. right? And she talked about the night and day treatment mm. once she was living with this huh. white administrator That's in funny. the district yes. and the way that teachers taught her and the way that they mm. were invested in her 
differently than she was ju- than when she was just this kid that was busted. Mm-hmm. Right. So that is an anecdotal yeah. story that supports what you're talking about, that people who we teach in the districts know, that parent black parents know as we talk mm-hmm. through where do we send our kids, mm-hmm. that there's no perfect place. And that's one thing Shut It Down does really well. Like yeah. rather than say, oh, these kids are lost, but mm-hmm. you know, the best and brightest that go to the suburbs mm-hmm. or go to the private or parochial mm-hmm. schools, those are the ones, like mm-hmm. the talented 10th argument, mm-hmm. like it yeah. rejects that. It says, no, like all these kids can succeed. Yeah. We're going to shut down this school to prison pipeline because mm-hmm. it's not okay. Yeah. And, and, and not, not just all of them can succeed, but all of them are literally geniuses, but they just need engagement. Because if you engage with me on a topic that I'm not interested, uh, I'm not necessarily interested in, but it isn't engaging, then I am more likely to actually like enjoy it and actually figure out like, oh, well, how can I make this enjoyable? Because it's it's that lack of engagement that that really disconnects the students. Like, how does this pertain to my life? How does this relate to what I'm going that, that, to what I have going on at home or in my community? And if there's no engagement, if there's no connection, then then it's lost. And so that's what that's the aspect of shut it down that also uh, plays a role, which is where we um, weave in the culturally relevant pedagogy, where we teach educators on how to use culture as a bridge for academic excellence. Like actually get to know the student. Horrible idea. But if you get to know the student, like then they're, they're more apt to, to want to succeed for you. And not even necessarily just for you, but they really don't want to let you down because they see that you're engaged. But then also, so what we do is we challenge educators to see them literally as geniuses, which I didn't think was a huge thing. But when I talk to educators and just people in general, like they're like, no, everybody can't be a genius. And I'm like, why not? Like, what does that take away from you? But when I say to see them as geniuses, that really just means helping educators understand that there's something in students, something that that student is good at, helping to draw that out, which is like the meaning of education, to draw out, to lead out. And that's what a lot of educators fail to do because we sit and get, that's what we're used to. But if we help to draw out that genius, like that's, that's the engagement piece that's, that's really missing. It's, and I think it's so imperative. And so by seeing the students that are in these schools, all schools really, as geniuses, that is one way that we can really help to um, end this school to prison pipeline. Because if I'm engaged in something and I'm seeing something that I've never engaged in before, maybe it's um, STEM or robotics or whatever, um, that opens up different doors and different avenues because I never knew those existed. But when I see a, like, oh, that's a possibility. Yeah, and I, I, you're right. So often, we assume that kids need to leave their culture at the door. Mm. And what we fail to realize is that culture is embedded. White normative Mm -hmm. culture is embedded in the way that we've done education, the way that we do education, the examples that we provide Mm -hmm. in in word problems, the stories they get told uh, that we read in literature. And so we forget that for white kids, culture is absolutely central and a part of their learning. Mm -hmm. So why for other kids? kids who are immigrants from other country, kids of color, like why would we ask them to leave their culture at the door? Why not use that to, like you said, have them engage in their learning, to be a mirror, to be able to engage with other kids and teach and learn 
and and be a part of a, a learning community, a vibrant learning community. Yeah, it, it literally makes no sense to me because I, I use this example with some educators I was working with. I was like, so let's say, you know, you, you go on a date with somebody. Do you want them just going down a checklist or do you actually want to engage like and have a relationship with you? And by having a relationship with you, that means that, that we actually get to know each other. Right. And so a lot of times what too many educators do is we have this little checklist and we go off of stereotypes, but that's not real engagement. That's not real relationship. What that is, is rapport. As Naiba Johnson would say, that is rapport versus relationship. And what we try to teach is relationship. And it's so important when kids ha are in environments where they're they're experiencing multiple traumas mm -hmm. that we have the relationship. Yeah. That that rapport might work for a kid who hasn't had a lot of major adverse life events. Yeah. But for kids for whom they're having to navigate their emotional reality, that that is one that as an adult, I would have trouble navigating. Mm -hmm. Right. It's essential huh. that we have that relationship so that we can continue to reach them. Yeah. And as you just said, as an adult, you would have trouble navigating that. As an, I'm, you know, of age. We don't need to necessarily say that age, but I am of age. I have trouble dealing with things that are going on in my life right now. And I'm adult, like I'm, and I'm supposed to know how. And I have the resources and the wherewithal and the know-how, like to get on Google. And but it's still hard for me. So why do we put these adult expectations on these kids? When they are literally just kids. And if we don't give them the tools to know how to do so, then, then what are we actually helping to, to produce? Because what we're trying to do is create lifelong learners. And so what if, I don't know, what if we gave them the tools on how to navigate difficult, um, difficult situations in their life, difficult issues of trauma in their life? Like how much more brilliant would they be? Because then oftentimes, I know in my own personal life, what I generally do with um, whenever I experience trauma is I try to turn though that lemonade, that lemons, I try to turn lemons into lemonade. What if we taught our kids to do that? Mm -hmm. And so the work of Shut It Down helps educators again to understand that this trauma thing, well, one, it's real because too many folks think, oh no, he's just, he's just acting out for whatever reason, right? but helping them to understand what this is and giving them tools on how to better work with our students. Mm -hmm. Because again, one, if, if we can help educators see this in themselves first, then they can help the students and it just creates a healthier community for everyone. It does. And we're finding the preliminary results suggest that as a, re as a result of being engaged and shut it down, you know, schools, teachers are able to, like you said, better regulate themselves. Yeah better identify the behaviors in mm -hmm. their kids that are related to trauma, help them regulate themselves. You know, principals are, re are shifting their thoughts around punishment Definitely. and discipline and Definitely. suspension. So there's all sorts of great nuggets to take away. Um, and I, I, I was going to ask the question, like, what can other schools learn from Shut It Down? Mm -hmm. I feel like you've dropped a lot of gems, but if folks were going were gonna to say, okay, here's my takeaways, what would you want them to take away from shut it down and maybe implement in their own space? I would say um, coming from a communal aspect, meaning invite the community into the, the school system and like working with them because what shut it down actually does is we never came into the school and said, hey, this is what you should do. But instead we said, hey, what are your issues? And how can we help you solve those issues? So, so that's one. 
Um, but then I think using more social workers, more counselors, more therapists, like that's that's the number one takeaway. And actually uh, in California, there's actually legislation to put more of those type of service workers, those clinical practitioners into the schools. And so like that's the long goal for shut it down for myself. That's that's what I want to see. I want to see it on the ballot that we have more social workers, more counselors, more therapists in schools. I just saw something. I don't know if it was real. It was a meme. It was on uh, Instagram. But they said that after, I believe it was Columbine, there are more police in schools, just like in the nation. But that has not decreased the number of school shootings. They, They haven't really served its original purpose. So what if, again, we focused on what we want? Because what we really want is we want our students to be well. We want our students to be safe. So why not put the people in that can really help students be safe and regulate themselves, teachers regulate themselves, which are those licensed clinical social workers, therapists, all those acronyms. I don't know. LCSW, LMFTs. A, B, C, D, F, G, F. Okay. So uh, I think utilizing this or thinking about shut it down as a model by working with the clinical social workers and so forth. I think that is a model that can be replicated. And mm. that's something that um, that schools can really, they can really latch on to. Mm. Yeah. Uh, something else that I think um, that schools could really learn from shut it down is the importance of relationships, um, relationship versus rapport. Many, many educators think, oh, I have a good relationship with my students and the parents. You know, we laugh and joke. But then I talk to those students and they're like, I'm just in their class. No, like there really is no relationship. Folks really don't take the time to understand those students nor their culture. They haven't even been to their neighborhoods. Like they're scared to go into their neighborhoods. Um, and so I actually would encourage educators to just go visit students in their own neighborhood and not to treat them as like a spectacle or like they're going to the zoo, but really like actually get engaged with the communities that their students are engaged in. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you for joining us today. If folks want to hear more from Dr. April Warren Grice, how can they follow you? How can they find your work? Oh, uh, you can go to liberatedgenius.com. Uh, you can hit me up. My email is drapril at liberatedgenius.com. And then there's also social media. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, Twitter. and But once you go to liberatedgenius.com, you can find all of that information. Awesome. And if folks want to give to shut it down, can they just go to SLU's website and give? Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you all for joining us on Raising Equity today. Hopefully you understand a little bit more about how shutting down the school to prison pipeline isn't just about focusing on the kids. Of course, it means that we want the kids to live their best life. And so we want to focus on them. But it actually puts a lot of onus and responsibility on us as adults, as teachers, as administrators, as people in the community, to make sure that we support all kids, especially kids who are in under-resourced environments, so that the environment is prepared for them, can support them, and can help them in a way that they can live their best life. So shutting down the school-to-prison pipeline is imperative as we want to see all kids succeed. And Shut It Down is an example of a program that's working to do that. So thanks for joining us on Raising Equity. We'll see you next time.
Do you need outtakes? Nah. You want to do could, those I bars? Could, I could drop my bars. Hit the bar. Hit the bars. Okay. Now, this is what, you know, me and my girl Tosh and Kelly came up with in uh, junior high. Okay. And I know because I'm not a real. Okay. My baloney. Between two pieces of bread, a slice of cheese, and some spread. Through your eyes, you'll only see red. Yum, yum. It only takes one bite because I make sandwiches out of sight. Hey, throw it up. That's all I got. That's all I got. We never finished it, but that's what I got. Check me out iTunes, SoundCloud, or not. No, (laughs) or not. not. Or not. Maybe not. In case you needed outtakes. Oh, I can put that in reference? If you want to, yeah.